You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Hey, today we're uh, part two of a series that we kicked off last week called Anchored Down and Built Up. Anchored down and built up. I gave you this phrase to start last week. I'm going to give it to you again because some of you weren't here or some of you need the reminder. Uh, Storms expose what your life is anchored to and built on. Okay? You might want to write that down. Storms expose what your life is anchored to and built on. Now, we're using storm here, obviously, as a little bit of an analogy. Uh, Last week, I told you that storms of life, um, they're not a matter of if, but it's just a matter of when and how and maybe even how long, okay? Um, We all walk through storms of life. Some of you in it right now. Some of you, it's coming in a week, and you don't even know what's coming, all right? Um, But, man, we experience storms, whether that's relational, whether that's family, whether that's health, whether that's an addiction storm, a job storm, a financial storm, or even a spiritual storm, as we're talking about the believers in Colossians. I say they experience a spiritual storm. And so what we're talking about in this series is, man, what does it look like to root, to anchor, to build our lives on Jesus in such a way um, that we don't just survive the storms of life, but that we're able to stand, that we have a sure and steady foundation, an anchor that holds in the storm. And so that's it. That's where we're headed. Um, even today, as we're diving into part two, if you have a copy of Scripture, let's go to Colossians chapter two. So that's New Testament, second half of your Bible. If you see something that looks like Galatians or Philippians, you're in the neighborhood, all right? Uh, but man, love for you to open up God's Word so that you have a copy. Also, man, just Highly, highly encourage you, as I did with our guys this weekend, man, take notes, okay? Write something down. It may be one thing, but write it down so that you remember it. Um, as you turn there, I also want to remind you of the next step that, man, we kind of invited everybody into, whether you're new or you've been with us all 10 years, um, and just a spiritual next step that we called everybody into during this series, something that we're just calling the one 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 challenge, okay? The one 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 challenge. It's as simple as it gets. Uh, last week in part one, if you remember, one of the statements was that a disciplined faith is a faith that stands firm, okay? Faith requires some intentionality. It's not just always a cakewalk in the park. And so discipline faith is a faith that stands firm. So we said, remember, what's one way that we could do a simple spiritual discipline to help us begin to develop that discipline faith? And so thus the one 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 challenge. So this is it. Man, we're just encouraging you during the series to pray for one specific thing, all right, at 1 o'clock, Okay, and I missed one of my ones. One of my messing up. One one thing for at least one minute. There it is. For at least one minute at one o'clock each day over the next three weeks. All right, and I got so much faith in you that you can do it. Okay, um, and hanging out with some people this week and reminders just going off on their phone. They're like, it's one o'clock. All right, let's just stop. Okay, and we're gonna pray. And so, I mean, we got people praying for maybe whatever storm you're walking through. I think that'd be worthy to pray about. Uh, maybe praying about the salvation of a friend or family member, absolutely for that. Maybe you can pray for our church family. Man, we, we would welcome you to do that, but just invite all of us into that, okay? So set your reminder on your phone, put the note on your dash, whatever you got to do for 1 o'clock. Now, today we're going verses 6 through 12. 6 through 12, I'm going to pull out three truths because I'm a preacher and I have to talk in threes. That's how it's going to work, all right? But maybe one of those truths or maybe all three of them will resonate with your life as we talk about what does it mean to be anchored down, built up on the sure foundation. Foundation, um, who is Jesus. So here we go. Colossians 2 verse 6. We'll read 6 and 7 to get started. So it says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, 
strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Here's our first truth today. Write this one down. Following Jesus isn't just salvation, but also sanctification. Okay, and yeah, we made it sound a little Dr. Susie because you remember it better, okay? Following Jesus isn't just salvation, but it's also sanctification. We're going to put definitions on those words in a second. Paul says, we just read it, he says, just as you received Christ Jesus, what does it say? Continue to live your lives in him. Now, What's salvation? What's sanctification? So we're all on the same page. Salvation, at least as we biblically understand it, um, is maybe a moment or it's maybe even a season where somebody understands their need for Jesus as Savior. They repent from their sins. There's a one eight, there's a turning from sin that the Spirit enables us to do. There's a surrendering, a laying down of my life. Jesus, you take the driver's seat. And then there's a receiving of eternal life here and now and the gift of the Holy Spirit to live with here on earth. You with me? All right. That's salvation, okay? We use some big theological words like depravity and justification and all that. We talk about that offline, okay? That's salvation, but then watch this. There's also sanctification. What does that mean? Well, let me put a little simple Rankin County definition on it. It's the process of continually growing up in Christ. I'll say that again. The process of continually growing up in Christ. So here's what I would say. Every follower of Jesus, a lot of us would proclaim to be followers of Jesus, every follower of Jesus should be able to, if we went to lunch today, you should be able to go, man, this is the moment or maybe the season where I surrendered my life and salvation came to me. Jesus changed my life. He justified me. And you should also be able to answer the question, and here's now how Jesus is changing my life right now. You with me? Salvation and sanctification. That he, he justified my life, he saved me, he rescued me, and now he is still in the process of changing me. 42 years later, he's still changing me. Three months later, I'm still growing in him. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. I spend time with a number of couples who are getting ready to be married, okay? They're engaged. He put a ring on it. They got a date. They're locked in, okay? And so they come to me because I'm a preacher, and I didn't realize that was going to be part of my role, but that's part of my role. You marry people, okay? And so, uh, man, we, we talk about marriage, and here's how that conversation typically goes. When we come, they come hang out with me, is they will say, well, man, we've got the date set, Okay? We got a venue. It's awesome. It's really expensive, but we figured out how to raise money. We sold our kidneys to you know, be able to have this venue. That's what it's like nowadays, guys, you know. Um, and, and like we got this, and we got a photographer booked, and we got a cake. It's going to be 92 layers. It's going to be awesome, okay? And we got the colors picked out, and I know he had a lot of voice in that, okay? Uh, we got the colors picked out, and the bridesmaids' dresses, and the groomsmen, and they're going to wear sneakers because we're modern, and we don't want to wear dress shoes, and that's okay. And then they got the save the dates. You got to have if you ain't doing it, if you don't have to save the dates, and it's got like the Instagram photo of them in the, you know, in the field where they're hugging one another with their heads lean just like this. Okay, who does that? Like, who, who really poses like that? Okay, I did. Okay, all right. And so they have all this. They have all the things in place. Here's the deal. They got everything set for the wedding. But do you know what a whole lot of them hadn't thought about? The marriage. And I'm just saying, if you've done it before, the wedding day typically lasts 24 hours because that's all it's got. But the marriage lasts a lifetime. And so here's why I give you that illustration. In our culture today, as proclaimed Christians, and there's a ton of us in the room or in this moment who would say, I'm a follower, right? 
we tend to hang our hat on a salvation moment, and we forget to walk out the sanctification process on the back end. And the goal of following Jesus isn't just salvation, but it's sanctification. It's the process of continually growing up in Christ. One commentator I read this week, he said it this way, we cannot perfect in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. What you mean? Well, I'm just saying the same spirit that saves us is the same spirit who then continually walks with us to sanctify us, to grow us up in Christ. We read this verse a few weeks ago. Uh, a few weeks ago. Colossians 1.10 says, Paul wrote, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. What does that look like? Well, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. That's a great scriptural definition of sanctification. So I want us to kind of just break that down, uh, or we're going to break down what we read just a second ago. Verse 7, what is sanctification? Colossians 2 verse 7 said, rooted and built up in him. There's one. Number two, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And number three, overflowing with thankfulness. So today we're going to define sanctification a little deeper as being rooted and built up, strengthening in the faith, and overflowing with thankfulness. So let's break those down. What does rooted mean? Well, so I thought about that this week. What, what are the roots of a tree? What does that look like? What does that process look like? What does that require? I wrote down three things. One, it takes time, right? You don't throw that seed out, and two weeks later, you got a big old oak tree. Number two, roots take water, take nourishment. But number three, what happens? It produces sustainability. Without roots, what happens to that tree? falls over. So what does that mean for you and me? If we're going to be rooted, if part of sanctification, growing up in Christ, is to be rooted, you ready? Here's where this makes sense for you and me. A life that is rooted in Christ doesn't grow overnight. It takes time. That's, what, that's why Man Up Weekend did not just fix your husband in 24 hours. It takes time. A life that is rooted in Christ takes consistent watering or nutrients. What does that look like? That's a continual, Romans says, a continual renewing of your mind in truth. That's why we keep gathering every seven days, because y'all forgot what we talked about last week, all right? And that's why we try to read the word every day, because some of us forgot what we read yesterday, all right? A continual renewing and watering in the truth. And then third, what happens though? A life that is rooted in Christ, just like the roots of the tree, what does it do? It produces stability, hello, to stand in the storms of life. And for all of us, that's what we long for. We want to stand. So what are, I mean, practically speaking, like real life, what are the roots that we should be growing deeper in our life? Like, what does that look like? If my roots going to grow deeper so that I can stand, what is that? What are the nutrients? Well, I think there's a personal pursuit and understanding of Scripture. Okay, that plays out in a lot of ways. Um, prayer, serving with our gifts and time. That's not just like checking a box in our house, but that's because I realize this thing's bigger than me and God gives me gifts and time to serve. Uh, I grow in community with others, generosity, love, and forgiveness. So I just throw some of those out to say, like, does that look like the roots of your life? Is that, is that what's holding you down right now? Sanctification, part of that is being rooted in Christ. But then he gave us a second thing. What did Paul say? Sanctification also means a continual strengthening of your faith. Continual strengthening of your faith. How do we strengthen our faith? Well, I wrote down two words this week. It happens through pursuing and practicing. Pursuing 
and practicing. Here's what I mean. Um, we strengthen our faith when we pursue the Lord. Okay? I just talked about some ways that you personally pursue the Lord. When you pursue him, guess what? You, you gain knowledge and understanding to strengthen that faith foundation that you live on. But watch this. It can't just stop with pursuing. Okay? Some people get caught in just that knowledge circle or knowledge cycle. It also means a practicing of your faith. What are you talking about? Well, I'm saying, when's the last time you practice walking in faith? Or let me say it this way. When's the last time you obediently followed God in a way that it required faith? Which typically means it may not have been super comfortable. You may not have been real sure of it. But you felt the Holy Spirit leading you to do it. Maybe that's to pray for somebody. Maybe that's to share your faith story with a coworker. Maybe that's to lead a group, to lead a team, to serve in a way, to give your tithe. And you're like, "Woo! here comes faith. Is this what faith feels like? So how do we strengthen our faith? Through pursuing and through practicing. I've heard it said that a worked muscle becomes a stronger muscle. And if we fail to practice faith, if all we do is just study and read about it, but we don't ever practice it, guess what? It's not going to get stronger. And part of sanctification, that growing up in Christ, is a strengthening of our faith. So we got two of them so far, right? First one, rooted in Christ. Second one, strengthening of our faith. And then here's the third one. Sanctification also means an overflowing thankfulness. I'm just using Paul's words. An overflowing thankfulness. Can I be real with y'all today? Some of y'all are just grumpy. Your spouse wouldn't say it, so I said it, okay? Some of y'all just, you are, you're just grumpy, okay? And guess what? Sometimes I am too. And my wife tells me all the time when I am. How many people really just love being around grumpy people, okay? Said no one ever, right? What's Paul saying? Paul says a thankful spirit is what? Is a mark of Christian maturity. Let me say that again. A thankful spirit is a mark of Christian maturity. A person, but a person who lacks a deep sense of thankfulness that flows through their life is susceptible to doubt and delusion. When the Spirit of God is alive and working in you, thankfulness will be a fruit that is produced. That doesn't mean that you're always a cherry on top kind of person and that's all you got to say is good things but thankfulness will flow through you. And if your spirit, though, is most rooted in what you read on Facebook or all you see on the news, guess what? You know, thankfulness probably not going to be the lead line that's coming out of you, okay? But when we immerse ourselves in the Word, when we are watering consistently our lives with truth and community and Christ-likeness and pursuing Him, guess what happens? Thankfulness begins to be embedded in there. I've heard it said that a good root always produces a good fruit. At our old house, uh, our last house, we had a small tree in our backyard. It wasn't like a big pine, but it was a small tree kind of in a back flower bed. And I'm not like the most green thumb guy, and so I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the tree until one day I looked at it and I was like, brother out there is not producing any leaves. Like there, there are no green leaves on the tree. And I'd know at least enough to know that's not correct. And so I walked over to the tree and it, I mean, it's decent-sized trunk, got a whole bunch of branches on it. It stands fairly tall, bigger than me. And I put my hand on that trunk, and you know what it did? Whole thing, boom, <laughs> right there in the backyard. My first thought was, well, what am I going to do with that, okay? And my second thought was, no root leaves a dead tree. 
Because good root always produces good fruit. But where there are no roots, hear me, church, where there are no roots, there is no fruit and there is no life. And following Jesus isn't just salvation, but it is also the continual process of sanctification. And so just some application questions for you. Can you honestly say today that you are growing in Christ's likeness right now in your life? What's that mean? Well, are you being rooted more deeply in him? What do the roots of your life look like? If you do an evaluation today, if you dug it up, are you practicing your faith to strengthen it? And are you overflowing with thankfulness Or is more the lead line of your life negativity and and pessimism and complaining? Following Jesus isn't just salvation, but it's also sanctification. Back to Colossians 2. Here we go. Verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness because he is the head over every power and authority. Now, let's talk context for a second. Remember, Paul's writing to the Colossian believers to stand against false teaching that had come into the Colossian church. He's trying to correct them and help them know what is really true. In verse 8, he said, be careful that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive teaching based on human tradition. Paul says, beware. Okay? So in light of that line, here's our second truth statement for today. Jesus didn't call us to traditions, but he called us to transformation. Jesus didn't call us to traditions, but he called us to transformation. Now, the false teaching that was in Colossae, we talked a little bit about it last week, it was marked by an emphasis on philosophy and empty deceit. And the reason that it was so dangerous was because it was not obviously sinful and malicious. Remember what we said last week? It was full of fine-sounding words. It was very intellectual in nature, but it was just enough off that it became dangerous. And Paul writes, he says, hey, beware, beware. Ultimately, what happened was it was stamped with with the tradition of man and not God. And the traditions of man have no equal authority to the word of God. In fact, I would go so far as to say that one of the scariest things, talking right now day, one of the scariest things in our part of the world is churches who are built more on tradition than on transformation. Hear me. It's possible today, okay, it's possible in our culture today to do church and to do churchy things and to totally miss Christ in it. So part of one of the filters that we have as a spiritual family is that every event, every ministry, every opportunity that we are a part of, we are continually under evaluation. Why? Because we never want to slide into that place to say, well, we're going to do it just because we always done it. Hear me? If it's tradition, but it's not transformative, it's got to go. Why? Because Jesus, he didn't call us to tradition, but he called us to transformation, to life change. Now, verse 9, Paul says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity 
lives. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying Jesus was triune in nature. He was Father, he was Son, and he was Spirit. The Gnostics who were speaking into this moment in Colossae, they had a hard time believing that. So Paul's going, no, listen, he is Trinity, and it'll blow your mind if you think about it, but he's Father, he's Son, and he's Spirit. And then Paul goes on in verse 10, and he says, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. That through salvation, you've been brought to fullness. In other words, if you're in Christ, your life has been transformed by him. And if all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and Jesus has a relationship with believers in faith, then we are complete in him. You see that? And Paul says that's not a status that you're trying to achieve, but that's a fact and a promise to be enjoyed that you are complete in him, that there is no essential need that he will not supply. There is no spiritual want he does not satisfy. I love how the psalmist says it, Psalm 16, verse 11. This is good. Psalmist says, you make known to me, God, the path of life. You will what? You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He's a good God who takes care of the needs of his children, and in Christ is everything we need. And in him, only through him, are we brought to what Paul would say is spiritual fullness. Traditions will leave us dry, but Jesus offers transforming power that satisfies. And that's what so much of our world cannot understand. That's what they don't get. Okay, Jesus didn't call us to traditions, but he called us to what? transformation. Two last verses for us to read and focus on for a moment. Colossians chapter 2, pick up with me in verse 11. Paul says, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self that was ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the third statement for the day. Jesus removes what's dead and he raises new life. Jesus removes what's dead and he raises new life. In these final two verses, as I read it, there's a removal and there's a raising, and both of them are vitally important. Now, first, in verse 11, Paul spoke to circumcision. Now, it's important to understand that most of these Colossian believers, these Colossian Christians, they were Gentiles, which meant that they had not been physically circumcised. Now, here's what the Gnostics slid in to teach. Well, you got to be circumcised if God's going to love you. you got to be circumcised if you're going to be saved and God's going to accept you as his child. And Paul steps in, and here's what he's saying in this letter, is he's writing to say that although you have not been physically circumcised, you were circumcised in a spiritual sense, which is far more important than a tradition of man. They were circumcised when they came to Christ through what? Through a removal of the old self. Here's what Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, what Paul also wrote the church at Philippi. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and what? And who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, we trust in the spirit and not in the flesh. The old has been removed. Or we could say it this way, you can come to Jesus as you are, but in Christ you can't stay as you are. 
The Greek word actually here for putting off um, that we just read in Colossians 2, the Greek word for putting off in verse 11 is a double compound meaning. And here's what the two meanings are, to strip off and to cast away. So it means not just taking off that old piece of clothing and leaving it on the floor, husbands, but it means to take it off and watch this, and to cast it away for good. That's what Paul's saying. Let me give you a couple more verses from Paul's letters. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, a lot of us would go, that's me. Guess what? You have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Another verse, Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new, to exchange what's old for new. There we go. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Or we could say it this way. As Christ followers, we are continually under construction. And the process is not complete on this earth. The process of sanctification means allowing Jesus to what? To continually remove the things in my life, continually remove the things in my life that do not look like Christ. Why? Because the flesh that you and I live in temporarily right now, some of our flesh is a little older than other people's flesh, and some of y'all is a little younger than my almost 40-year-old flesh, okay? But listen to me. The flesh that we live in is a wicked enemy that has to be pruned continually. So the question becomes, are you responding to your flesh? Because you're still going to battle it on this earth. Are you responding to your flesh less and less, though? Jesus alone offers the power to remove what's old and to raise what's new. Jesus raises what's new. Verse 12 said, having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. You know what that Greek word baptism is? It's a fun word to say. It's the word baptizo, okay? Baptizo. You can just work that into lunch conversation. It'll be good, okay? The word baptizo means this. It means to wash, to plunge, to soak, or to dip. And originally, that Greek word had no religious context to it. Without giving you the full history lesson, in about 30 AD, about the time of Jesus' death, a shift began to happen, and that began to become a spiritual symbol for all who would follow Jesus. And so as we begin to land the plane today, I want to give you quick three powerful truths about baptism, about this picture and this idea of being raised to new life in him. Man, we're in a deep church context. I want to put us all on the same biblical page regarding baptism. So here's three statements. First one is, baptism identifies you with Jesus. The act of believer's baptism identifies you with Jesus. We're baptized not just because Jesus was baptized, although he was, but we're baptized because we're identifying ourselves as a follower of Jesus to say this, that I have a relationship with Jesus that's different than any other relationship of my life, right? I put this wedding ring on on November 8, 2008 to say I got a relationship with one girl and I'm committed to one girl and one girl only and I got a relationship with her that's different than any other relationship on this earth. Baptism does that. It identifies us with Jesus. It also identifies us with Jesus because baptism is a picture of the gospel. What's the gospel? That Jesus went to the cross for your sin and mine, that he was buried, and three days later, what happened? Greatest news in history. He got up. He walked out. 
He walked into new life in Christ. And so guess what? That picture for us is somebody is put into the water and raised out of the water is the picture of the burial of the old self to the raising of a new life in Christ. So baptism identifies your life with Jesus. So it's a biblical call to it. Here's a second statement. Baptism is a public, excuse me, a public declaration of your personal transformation. Okay? Baptism is a public declaration of your personal transformation transformation. It's a demonstration of the inward life change that Jesus has brought about in your life. The call to follow Jesus, to surrender and to follow him, well, that's you and God. That's the spirit drawing you to that. But God never intended for that to stay personal. He said it would be a personal transformation that would lead into public demonstration of your faith. Let me give you a verse to back it up. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But watch this. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. It's powerful words. See, the truth is, if you say that you have trusted Jesus with your life, and your desire is to follow him with your life, but you're not excited enough to publicly declare that in front of others, you may not have fully grasped what you're declaring that he did in your life. Okay? Because salvation means that he took you from hopeless and dead and gone. And he raised you to new life of hope and inheritance in him. And I'm just saying there is no greater thing to declare publicly than that. We celebrate a whole lot of things on our social feed. But that's the greatest declaration that we can make with our lives. So baptism is what? It's a public declaration of your personal transformation. Here's the third statement. Baptism reminds you who you belong to. Baptism reminds you who you belong to. In Luke chapter 3, we don't have time to dive into it, but in Luke chapter 3, in one of Jesus' most public moments of obedience, what happened? You remember? Jesus wades out into the water, and John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Remember that story? Read about it in Sunday school? Think about that. Of, of all people who did not have to be baptized, it was Jesus. I mean, he was the son of God. He was God in flesh. But Jesus walked in obedience in that moment to demonstrate the power of the spiritual symbol and next step. And do you remember what God the Father's response was? You remember that? He literally audibly spoke into that moment. And he said, that's my boy. That's my son, and in him I am well pleased. He's obedient to my heart. He's walking out my plan. That's the hope for us today. It reminds us who we belong to. Let me give you this verse from Colossians chapter 3, verse 26. Paul wrote this one too. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Not through works, through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have done what? You have clothed yourselves. Feel that, man. You clothe yourselves with Christ, with the righteousness of Christ, with the inheritance of Christ. That's the picture of baptism. 
That's it. As your story is told and you're raised out of the water, it's the picture, it's the reminder that although that old dead self that you've been hanging on to that was hopeless in so many ways, it's now been buried and it's raised to a new life of righteousness, inheritance, child of God, eternally bought, saved, and sealed by God and his spirit. That's the picture and the power of baptism because it reminds you who you belong to. So let me ask this question today. Has God removed your old dead self? Has he he removed it to raise you to a new life of following and knowing him? And if so, have you declared that through baptism? God would say that's a next step of your faith to publicly declare what God has personally done in your life. The goal of following Jesus isn't just salvation, but it is sanctification. It's a process, and it doesn't come overnight, but it's a process of continually growing up in him. And Jesus didn't call you to tradition, but he called you to a transformed life that's continually growing to look more like him. You should look more like him than you did two years ago and than you did 20 years ago. It's transformation, not tradition. And finally, Jesus removes what's dead and old. Praise the Lord. That's good news. And he raises us. He raises us to new life in him. The anchored down, built up life. Listen, is not a life that sits still. But it is a life that is continually being transformed by the person and the work of Jesus. So let's pray that over ourselves this morning. Sometimes life can feel like being tossed in the waves of the ocean, grasping for something to hold on to. In Colossians 2, Scripture speaks about what it looks like to live a life that is anchored down and built up in truth and hope. No matter where life has you right now, we pray today's time pointed your heart towards what is true and gave you hope to hold on to. We want you to know that we are available and ready to pray for and encourage you as you learn what it means to live life anchored and built up in Him. To get a conversation started with one of our ministry team members, you can send us a private message or text your first name to 601-397-6111. We would love to pray for you and walk with you through anything you may be experiencing. You can also find reading plans and other resources to help you take next steps in your faith on our website, www.theexchange.cc. As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church, let's speak out our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange. Ideas for truth, God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church.